Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Now, your host, Jared Serbu. And thanks for listening this week. On the program this time, we take an in-depth look at one of the most ambitious tactical IT projects in the Army's recent history. A few weeks ago, the service set out on a sweeping effort to update the hardware and software systems across 400 different units in all three components, the Active Duty Force, the National Guard, and the Army Reserve. An upgrade of that scale would normally take about five years, but the Army plans to do it in just two. By the time the project is finished in 2019, the Army will have reduced the number of hardware and software versions it uses for Mission Command from about a dozen to just one. We have three guests with us this hour to talk about the hardware and software update process, all from the Project Office for Mission Command at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland, part of the Program Executive Office for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. Colonel Troy Crosby is the Project Manager for Mission Command. Also with us are David Meikle, a Product Support Manager with PM Mission Command, and Naraj Kadakia, Deputy Product Manager for PM Mission Command's Strategic Mission Command. Colonel, why don't you start us off by by taking us through a little bit how we got to where we are today with uh, you know a pretty heterogeneous architecture of hardware and software. What's what's the as is environment that you're trying to neck down to a common baseline, and and how did that non-standard environment come to be in the first place? So over several years of of developing and fielding uh, software in support of both. Uh, conflicts in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, the Project Management Office for Mission Command was was quickly churning out software to enhance capabilities for for warfighting units. Given the amount of time it takes this organization to fully field that to the entire Army, uh, including active reserve and National Guard um, organizations, what you had is they just couldn't keep up with the amount of versions of software that was being demanded by the operational force to support those fights in the two theaters. So over time, you just kept getting more and more versions of software out there. What the Army had done, and this was led by by Forces Command, the uh, Deputy Commanding General for Forces Command asked that PEOC3T and the Project Manager Mission Command organizations take a look at ways we could help Forces Command organizations in the Guard, Reserve, and Active Components get to a common baseline of software across all three compos. They wanted to do a couple things with this, with this philosophy. Uh, ease of training for the soldiers. Um, what, what soldiers saw in one organization if they moved um, you know, from Fort Bragg to a, to a Fort Hood, they would see the same mission command applications in their new organization. Um, conversely, if a soldier went from the active component and made the decision to go into an Army National Guard or Army Reserve organization, uh, that they would again see that same mission command application suite at his new gaining unit. Uh, so this is, decreases the amount of training for soldiers. It increases readiness for organizations because incoming soldiers will have a baseline of understanding as they arrive, and then unit commanders only have to train that delta to get them to the proficiency that they expect. So we, we took a look at that, and it took us about six months for us to really come up with a, a cohesive plan to 
uh, execute that that uh, intent given by forces command. Uh, Department of the Army G3 published uh, an exord um, in May of 2017, and we began fielding our first unit um, in August of 2017, and we started out at the 101st Division headquarters at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And just to be clear, that, that as I said, heterogeneous equipment set, it's, it's not that units were necessarily not interoperable. They were just on different versions of, of, you know, different kinds of platforms that all basically did the same thing. Is that about right? So, so that is correct. Uh, so uh, an organization may have the Global Command and Control System Army. Um, and, for example, this, this uh, organization may be on a 4.3 baseline. Another organization may be on a 4.2 baseline. And yes, they are interoperable, but it, it, it increases the amount of training needed for those soldiers and those operators to make that interoperability seamless to the commander. And so how did you settle on, uh, I guess I'll call it the 2B set of hardware and software that, that, that makes up this common baseline? I mean, is it is it an entirely new set of equipment or is it more of a a selection of what you've determined to be the best of breed from what's already out there. So, from a from a hardware perspective, our, our focus was uh, if we were going to take on this this uh, massive effort to do the the software version reduction. At the same time, we wanted to posture the army for the future when the command post computing environment is goes into fielding starting in the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2019. So we kind of took a look and said, you know, what hardware, uh, both from a server standpoint and from, you know, a, a web client, you know, application, you know, desktop or, uh, sorry, laptop computer, you know, what hardware is needed to be able to run the command post computing environment version three. Um, and that kind of was the bar we set for hardware that we're going to field to the entire Army over the next two years. That will save us um, both some time and obviously resources in the end of the fiscal year 19 as we begin to, you know, field CPCE. So that hardware should already be out in the force and should allow us to uh, more rapidly field that, that new mission command uh, capability out to the force. And we should probably pause on that to take a little rabbit trail here because you've mentioned common operating environment and the command post computing environment a couple times here. Uh, if one of you could just explain a little bit what the what the whole idea behind the common operating environment is and once this I- entire effort is done, how far the way it gets you to COE. So the, the common operating environment is a set of standards and architectures that allow the computing environments to develop frameworks that meet those standards and those architectures. And then the warfighting function program of records, um, for example, AFATIDS, can then write their applications to take advantage of the framework provided by command post computing environment. Um, and from, from that perspective, we just talked, that is a very software-focused uh, description. Where we're trying to get in the software version reduction efforts by Strategic Mission Command is laying that hardware infrastructure out in the operational force across all three compos to give us the ability to increase velocity of fielding those software capabilities to the force.
I'd like to ask a couple questions about scope. Um, I'll try and fold them into into fold two questions into one here. One is kind of what what's the total universe of the hardware and software that's that's involved here, and does it have any big impact on on programs of record that people would think of, like WinT, like like DSIGs, and then. Also, if you can just give us a sense of the level of effort that's going to be involved here to touch 400 different units between now and, and 2019. So this is Dave. I, I can answer some of those. So in terms of the, the scope, what we're talking about fielding is um, new hardware, uh, servers, clients, uh, things like that, and then the, the software, the, the applications, the web services, and some of the enterprise services that uh, ride on them. In terms of how we interact with other programs, um, as uh, Colonel Crosby mentioned, uh, there's interoperability. Uh, we field a number of different systems that provide communications uh, between warfighter applications that uh, other programs uh, field themselves. And uh, we're just we're updating to the latest versions to, to make sure everything uh, does work. In terms of the scope of the mission, what we have to do is field new systems, uh, both the hardware and software, uh, and that's uh, putting out, uh, actually doing the fielding, transferring the uh, the equipment over to the units, and then providing training to them. Uh, so there's system administrator training, there's operator training. Um, some of it's full new training to units that haven't seen uh, baselines in a while, they haven't seen a, a refresh in a while. Um, and then for others that have uh, newer versions, uh, we're basically uh, providing delta training, so that reduces the the amount of training we have to provide to them. So maybe a, an operator course would go from 40 hours to eight hours, uh, and that significantly reduces the amount of time that they need to uh, work with the uh, and actually uh, be online with us. And as you say, it depends on the unit, but uh, what's the kind of range of time that's going to be involved just in training soldiers how to use the new common baseline? So for each unit. Um, it's about two to three weeks. Uh, there's some overlap between uh, system administrator courses and operator courses simply because they're not the same soldiers in each course. Um, it's about a two-week course for system administration and then um, about two weeks for operator. And again, there's overlap between that. And that's for multiple programs of record. So there's uh, a couple of different programs in there, Command Post of the Future, Global Command and Control System, Army, uh, Command Web, which is a uh, engineer service uh, type system. We're, we're actually not just fielding new hardware, we're taking some of the hardware out of the field. Uh, we're converting some of the systems over to web clients and that's going to eliminate uh, dedicated servers and clients uh, that were, were set to those particular systems and now we're making them a little bit more universal. So we'll take away a server stack for one program and host that software on a uh, common uh, server stack, uh, the BCCS or, or uh, that's the Battle Command uh, Common Services or Tactical Server Infrastructure. And how, how difficult is it going to be, or has it been up until uh, up until this point, just to negotiate with each of these individual units in the active, in the guard, in the reserve to make sure that they can all get a window to do this training uh, and to get the actual physical hardware and software upgrades through the whole unit set fielding process? Well, that's probably our biggest challenge, uh, honestly, is the, the accelerated timeline and aligning what is the, the unit's missions uh, in terms of their uh, worldwide deployments, exercises, their PCS moves, unit rotations. Uh, and then aligning our training with that. Uh, so we've had a lot of help from uh, Headquarters DA uh, in laying out a feasible schedule 
and then ensuring that uh, especially Compos 2 and 3, the Army uh, National Guard and the Reserves, are actually available for training. So it, it's, it's a significant challenge. The number of units that we're touching over the next two years uh, is normally represents a workload of about five years in terms of normal fielding and, and what people would expect us to, to roll out new capabilities. That's Dave Meekle, a product support manager with the Army's Project Management Office for Mission Command. Also with us are Naraj Kadakia, deputy product manager, and Colonel Troy Crosby, the project manager for Mission Command, as we talk about the Army's new effort to bring 400 different units under one common hardware and software baseline. We'll talk more after a quick break. This is On DoD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbiu. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM, this is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu, talking this week with three of the leaders of the Army's Project Office for Mission Command about the new effort that's just getting underway to bring 400 different tactical units in the active Army, the National Guard, and the Reserve under one common hardware and software baseline for Mission Command. Joining us are Colonel Troy Crosby, the Project Manager for Mission Command. Also with us are David Meekle, a Product Support Manager with PM Mission Command, and Naraj Kadakia, Deputy Product Manager for PM Mission Command's Strategic Mission Command. Naraj, I think this question's probably in your wheelhouse. I, I understand that you've tried to incorporate some best practices from industry as far as network consolidation and, and simplification. What sort of consolidations are happening in the Army right now that people would recognize who've been through similar processes out in industry? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things we, we really tried to highlight is take a pause at what's out in the field, as Colonel Crosby mentioned, and holistically look at how we can simplify and reduce complexity across the board on this baseline. Uh, and so one of the big things we took we look, took a look at was server automation, uh, really trying to reduce, as Dave mentioned, reduce the training time for the sysadmin to, to build out the tactical network, um, the tactical infrastructure, uh, really taking some of that training time down from 80 hours down to 18, um, looking at simplifying configurations. Uh, you know, that helps both with reducing human error as well as saving times on the uh, the training side. Uh, as well as trying to fill the gaps between what requirements were short. Uh, so Command Web is a new product that's out there that fills the uh, capability gap for engineering services. Uh, we've also um, provided a unified voice capability, uh, voice over IP, that the product is WAVE. Um, it really helps to modernize a solution for you know, CPOF operators in the command post. Uh, and as you asked earlier, we're really working in conjunction with PM Tactical Networks to help enable the, the linking of all the different fragmented voice solutions that are currently across the Army and standardizing it with this product on uh, 1116. So where are we now? Uh, has work already started at this point, and where are we in this whole process that's going to go up through 19? So we've started with the first unit equipped uh, in August, and we are just, as Dave laid out, we have a schedule working with uh, Forcecom to tr start laying out that schedule um, to just field really two years worth of work, five years worth of work in the next two years um, to close up by FY19. And back on the simplification point, um, one of the things your boss, Mr. Martin, has talked about a fair amount lately is, is what he sees as a need to get equipment out there that is simple enough to use, that it doesn't require a lot of dedicated signal folks to deploy along with the unit to, to set up and constantly maintain it. You know, any soldier can, can turn it on and press go. And I'm heavily paraphrasing there, but hopefully that's pretty close to at least the spirit of, of some of the overarching objectives. How much of that kind of simplification are, are we going to see out of this effort when it's all said and done? So this is Dave. I, I can answer some of that. 
Um, as Naraj mentioned, our server training, um, what would normally take about six, uh, 80 hours uh, for system administrators to set up is actually down to about 18 hours. And that uh, we've also changed some of the interfaces for them so that instead of going through multiple different tabs to set up and configure things, there's basically one, uh, one window that they have to look at that they see everything that's up there. From an operator perspective, we've uh, reduced some of the training uh, as well. So we've taken uh, what was normally a 40-hour course for our Global Command and Control System Army, Geeks A, uh, and rolled that back into a simpler uh, web client interface that is now 16 hours of training. Uh, so that, that's a good reduction for them. It simplifies things. It um, makes it a little bit more universal, and that gets you ready for CPCE where multiple other programs of record are going to be on one type of interface. Uh, so they're just going to have some unique features and buttons for their own, uh, their own use. Yeah, let's expand on that a little bit more. Once, once you get to the command post computing environment, how much easier does it make future incremental upgrades to the network to the extent it does? So, so this, this is Naran. The, the expectation is really to, in Naran is really to get to a two baseline uh, convergence, right? Really, once this baseline, uh, what we what we affectionately call T1116, is out there, and it's been fielded universally across the field, the next version out there would be the CPC v3 version, and it would make a lot of testing and interoperability challenges a lot a lot easier to to really have to work with one baseline backwards. You can sort of think of it as uh, the the analogy to Excel when using Excel or PowerPoint, any kind of Office product from let's say 2007, and when the upgrade happens to let's say 2010 those files may or may not be compatible. Um, all the features that you currently get with the new version may not work with an older version. Um, so it's that really that delta that what we have to test to and what we have to uh, really, what we know will work going forward is a lot easier when there's one baseline across the, the entire army. As I understand it, there's also almost a parallel simplification effort happening on the garrison side. Um, Netcom and PEOEIS have been busy trying to get some standardization on installations, too, through the joint regional security stacks, through upgraded infrastructure like, like MPLS. And the reason I ask is th there's been a lot of talk also about the idea of home station mission command, doing doing more of the mission from garrison. So it seems like a lot of what you're doing is going to need to interface with what's happening on the garrison side, too, to make home station mission command work. So tell me if any of those assumptions are wrong, but if not, talk me through a little bit about what you're doing to make sure that you're synced up with, uh, with what's happening in garrison. So this is Dave. Um, for home station mission command, basically the premise is that, yes, the, the users will have more time with their systems, uh, their tactical systems, in garrison, and uh, instead of having them offline and then bringing them up when they deploy, uh, they're going to have them online and most of the software will be operating in garrison-based uh, servers. Uh, and that, that allows them to deploy their tactical servers forward and still have uh, many of their mission operations still uh, carrying on at, at home station when, when elements uh, deploy forward. Um, so our, our participation in that has basically been making sure that our software runs in those environments and that uh, there's a seamless cutover between uh, the garrison deployment and the tactical deployment and making sure that the data can migrate back and forth. And this is obviously going to make that a lot easier if you're talking about deployments and uh, movement from one environment to another, you want to make sure you've got uh, the same software version across both of them. Uh, that definitely uh, makes it easier. 
Well, in the end, does it mean that fewer people actually need to deploy? You can do more of, of the work of a combat unit from home? This is uh, Colonel Crosby. I'll, I'll try try my best to answer that one. Um, that's really what we're trying to do is enable options for operational commanders. Um, I, I mean, that will really be their kind of their decision on what force structure, you know, to kind of leave at the garrison if they choose to and, and what to bring forward. Um, we as the acquisition community just want to make sure, you know, options are on the table for commanders to make make those decisions. You know, what we don't want to do is eliminate options as an acquisition community. We'd rather give them multiple options. And, and we feel that the path that we're on now definitely enables, you know, those commanders to, to have a wide, wide component of, of courses of actions from which to choose from going forward. And Colonel, along those lines, one of the things people listening to this are probably wondering is, you know, at the moment, there's still an ongoing network review that General Milley, the, the, the chief of staff of the Army, has ordered. And, and he's made clear that he wants that review to look at everything, not not just WinT, not just one or two programs of record. So given that we still don't have the results of that review I just mentioned, why is it not premature to move out on a network modernization effort of, of the scale that we're talking about? So, so you're you're spot on correct. You know the the review is is still you know taking place, and 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 as you mentioned, it is comprehensive, and and they've looked at everything. Um, you mentioned the the WinT uh, systems. Um, they they've looked at mission command systems, tactical radio systems, and and the chief is really looking for better ways in which we can, you know do acquisition to deliver capability faster to operational units. Uh, that, that's the what's driving everything behind the comprehensive look. So what we don't want to do is, again, take options away from the chief of staff as he goes forward. So w- one of the ways of which to increase his his range of options is to you know, reverse the number of versions out there so that what that does is allows much less sustainment of software across the force. Again, it gets that readiness for forces command. It gets that training. It, it enables the chief to make other decisions across the entire network portfolio just by you know doing this simplification and reduction of the software baselines. Again, we're just trying to give the Department of Army ways in which they can leverage multiple options to get after their end goals. That's Colonel Troy Crosby, the project manager for Mission Command, part of the Army's program executive office for command, control, communications, tactical at Aberdeen Proving Ground. Another short break. We'll talk more in just a minute about what this new common hardware and software baseline means for Army Mission Command on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Thanks for listening to federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we get back to our conversation with three guests from the Army's Project Management Office for Mission Command, with us are Colonel Troy Crosby, the Project Manager for Mission Command, David Meikle, a Product Support Manager with PM Mission Command, and Niraj Kadakia, Deputy Product Manager for PM Mission Command's Strategic Mission Command. We're talking about a two-year effort the Army has just started to simplify its tactical network, reducing the number of different versions of hardware and software Army units use for Mission Command from about a dozen down to just one. 
Before the break, Colonel Crosby told us at least one of the objectives is to support the broad network review that's been ordered by Army Chief of Staff Mark Milley by simplifying the network in a way that also gives the Army options for the future. So also along the lines of options, um, to, to what extent have you guys tried to build in open interfaces and, and, and reject approaches that would, um, you know, build in proprietary solutions that are, I guess, less upgradable in the future or less interfaceable in the future? So this is Naraj. We, we've gone away from, you know, proprietary solutions to look to more using more commercial standards and more um, open software with with keeping licensing in mind and trying to reduce license cost costs where possible. Um, a lot of what we've done is really tried to improve cybersecurity, really trying to update uh, hardware and software across the board to try to preempt and look at uh, cybersecurity threats. Um, some of the other things we've also done is put in hooks for some of the um, future patch management work that WinT has been working on to help support uh, automation and doing patch management over the air um, in the future. So really trying to put those hooks in to, to accomplish simplification down the road as it ties in with CPC v3. Yeah, that, this is Colonel Crosby. Let me expand on on what Naraj said. Also, uh, another way we're getting at of making getting at making sure we have open architecture. Uh, I'll go back to the common operating environment and the command post computing environment. So we're we're trying to to adhere to a set of standards and architecture within within COE, and then develop the infrastructure within the command post computing environment, allowing not only uh, innovative ways for industry to deliver solutions, but as long as they are meeting those those architectural and those standards, you know, it will be in an open source or, you know, open architecture type environment, and that should continue to get us at, you know, those non-proprietary solutions. Just mention cyber a little bit. Talk, talk a little bit about how this improves uh, network security once you're done. This is Dave. Um, I... I... I guess the best example would be um, using something from the commercial world. If you look at cell phones um, and you see the variety of different cell phone operating systems and applications and actual hardware, um, you look at the fragmentation that's in that market and you, you think, okay, how, how many updates does Apple or Google have to do to make sure that all of their systems, uh, all of their updates work on all those different older baselines? What we're doing is taking that that issue out away from the Army. We're, we're basically saying, okay, we're going to level set and everybody's on one version of uh, hardware and software, and that reduces the number of different uh, issues that we would have. We're eliminating any problems that we would have with older baselines that may come up from a cybersecurity perspective. We're also making uh, the patching uh, and updates easier later on because we only have to look at here's one version, here's the, the thing that we have to fix across all these different units. Uh, and that reduces a lot of our sustainment uh, uh, costs and issues because we're able to say, okay, I, I don't have five different versions of this application in, in the field that I need to maintain and update from a cybersecurity perspective. I only have one. And so then, then it goes from there. This sense. is Colonel Crosby. Uh, what it also does for myself as a project manager is it allows me to focus my human resources within the PM shop. So I now can have all of my engineers that work in the cyber realm focus down on a, a smaller workload over time, and therefore, you know, they can constantly be looking at ways to increase the cyber posture with just one version out in the field. So you, you have a technical 
piece of it. And then you also have just a, a human resources. I'll, I'll have, you know, more folks who can concentrate just on less work. That makes sense. Um, how is this entire effort being funded? I mean, it's it's big, and yet there's no line item in the Army budget that, that says this is what's going to pay for, um, you know, mission command modernization and, and coming to a common baseline. Um, I don't know if you have a total dollar estimate on that, but are we talking millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions between now and 19? So the entire effort is being uh, re- resourced out of current appropriations that were within the Strategic Mission Command portfolio. So we have not gone back to Congress or Department of Army for you know, any unfinanced requirements. Um, so we're, we're able to do that in our current allocation from, from Congress and, and the Department. So what we're, what we're trying to do is make sure as we continue down this path that we'd never get ourselves in this situation again. So like Naraj and Dave had mentioned earlier, uh, really maintaining a disciplined approach, you know, once we get down to the one baseline that we'll have, you know, the, the as is and kind of the, the to be uh, development paradigm. Um, as far as, as, as a total cost, just because we're in the infancy right now, not sure what it's gonna be, um, but, but definitely not hundreds of millions. Um, you know, it's probably in the areas of our normal operating budget um, as, as we go forward. So would it, would it be right to think of this more as like almost a tech, technical refresh, um, except that you're refreshing everybody to a common baseline and you're doing it a bit quicker than you might otherwise do it? This is Naraj. Absolutely. And as, as part of normal business, you know, you with the IT world, you're always looking to, to do tech refreshes after about five years. Um, so this is absolutely part of that that effort. That these are natural te- natural tech refreshes with the focus of simplification and a standard uh, software baseline across the field. Um, you, you can sort of think of it as when you push, you know, when you when let's say you're on Windows 7 and there's a migration to uh, the newer Windows version. Now, on a tactical system, that's very hard to do because there's training, uh, reaching out and touching those units. It's very difficult. But essentially, you can think of it that way. It's just, it's a enterprise-wide, across-the-board fielding of that new system so that now you don't you no longer need to support cyber attacks or anything else on those older baselines. And that's really the ultimate savings both on the, on the sustainment side uh, within the PM for engineers and folks, uh, the log team, to support those older versions and really have your energies focus on that one baseline and then down to the future baseline, which is the CPC V3. Mm. Colonel, you mentioned toward the beginning of our conversation that that really the genesis of this was that we had a lot of non-standard hardware and software out there that was that was driven by unique mission needs, mostly during Iraq and Afghanistan. I think what what provisions are being made for the future, where, for instance, is where a, a unit does have particular unique requirements that that are not satisfied by the common hardware and software baseline. It- to make sure that we can we can answer all of the all of the kind of the demand signals coming from the operational army, um, you know they can always bring forward you know requests for for additional capabilities, which then would start an assessment, you know and 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 look at trying to deliver a, a new you know software capability in the future, um, but but all the all the versions of hardware and software that were released over the past 10 years 
were all from the, the program of records, so they, they were standardized at a time. Um, just given the op-tempo and the, the need to support, you know, two theaters of conflict, uh, there just wasn't the time to fully touch all of the units in the Army, you know, in, in that small window before there was a need for, you know, additional capability to be delivered to the operational force. See if that one kind of scratches your itch on that question. Yeah, no, it did, no, that 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 answer totally makes sense. Um, really, the, the the and I can't even envision a particular scenario. I'm just wondering if if a commander, if a commander from the field comes forward and says, "I need the network to do X," and the the hardware and software baseline that you're fielding doesn't do X, is there a way to provide that capability? There's a lot of the avenues that that operational commanders have will will still be present going into the future. Um, you know, they can always, you know, put in an operational needs statement. Uh, they can always work with, you know, the, the TRADOC, uh, you know, their TRADOC representatives to bring those requests forward, you know, or we can, you know, just con as we do, we continue to work with Forces Command and the units to try to see where there are gaps out there. So all, all, the, all the avenues for which to get operational feedback on potential gaps still exist today and, and will in the future. Colonel Troy Crosby is the Army's project manager for Mission Command. One more break and we'll wrap up our conversation on the Army's new effort to simplify and standardize its Mission Command hardware and software across 400 different units. This is On DoD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Just a few minutes more with our three guests from the Army's Project Management Office for Mission Command. With us are Colonel Troy Crosby, the Project Manager for Mission Command, David Meekle, a Product Support Manager with PM Mission Command, and Naraj Kadakia, Deputy Product Manager for PM Mission Command's Strategic Mission Command. We're talking about the effort the Army has just started to update the hardware and software in 400 different units across all three Army components to one common standard baseline. And as we wrap up, let me ask a question about uh, some of the challenges ahead. Uh, Colonel, what's going to be the most difficult part of this huge project over the next two years? The big challenge for the software version reduction effort really is reaching the 400-plus the units in a two-year window. So, so the, the Mission Command team has taken a, a, a very unique approach on how we are going to uh, you know, execute this mission. So... We're looking at for we're looking at doing a regional type fielding. So, like we said earlier, we started at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Um, we we did the 101st Air 101st uh, headquarters, and at the same time, we did two national or correction two reserve units at the same time. And the concept is we would stay kind of in that region, and we would bring in. Uh, both active or all three active guard and reserve soldiers to a central location. Uh, we would train them at the mission training facility, for example, at at Fort Campbell, um, and then we would execute the you know the the equipment handoff and everything at their unit locations. So we're looking for increased efficiency doing that regional type approach, um, and then we would move on to another location, for example, a you know a Fort Hood, Texas. And then, you know, uh, eventually just 
continue to do these regional pockets until we've we've uh, hit the entire army. And that's that's the same approach for all three compos. I take it you're just trying to get as close as you can to as many units as you can at each one of those regional stops. That that is correct, and and we do, we know there will be outliers that we will have to go back and and address you know over time. But uh, if we can if we can get you know an eighty percent solution using the regional uh, approach, that should that should help the the mission command team out drastically as as we work to complete the the mission. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the whole process you're describing really is the unit set fielding process. Is that right? And 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 if so, are you making any unique modifications to what we've thought of as as unit set fielding in the past to accomplish this? No, we're, no real modifications to unit set fielding outside of just you know taking a regional look at it. So so normally we would we would go to you know. A unit in Third Infantry Division down at Fort Stewart. We would do the new equipment, you know, in brief with them. We would do all the training, and and execute that there. And then our new our next unit we would go to could be at Fort Hood and be in the First Cavalry Division. Um, so the the change we're really trying to implement here is is kind of taking that that regional approach where we can draw in all three compos from an area, and and get that efficiency. Uh, you know, we've worked very closely with Department of Army, you know, the, the G3 and the G8 areas and ASALT. Uh, we've worked very closely with um, the Army Reserve, uh, National Guard Bureau, you know, Forces Command. And then even within the, you know, the acquisition community, we, we, we're doing efforts with within uh, PM Tactical Networks and Mission Command here to make sure we are coordinated as, as we go across the units. Uh, there was just a lot of good staff work and a lot of heavy lifting by a lot of organizations to make this happen, and uh, the, the team has done a great job. That's Colonel Troy Crosby, the Army's project manager for Mission Command. Two of the experts in his office also joined us for our conversation about the project the Army is just starting to reduce the hardware and software variances in its tactical formations. The other voices you heard this hour were David Meikle, a product support manager with PM Mission Command, and Niraj Kadakia, deputy product manager for PM Mission Command's Strategic Mission Command. We thank all three of them. In our final few minutes of the hour, I mentioned earlier that the Army is taking a much broader look at all of its network capabilities, mainly through an expansive review ordered by Army Chief of Staff Mark Milley, going way beyond the mission command capabilities we've been discussing for most of the hour. For a little bit of context on that bigger picture, we wanted to play a short excerpt from a recent speech by Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, the Army's new Chief Information Officer in G6, of course one of the leaders of that review. These are some of the thoughts he offered speaking to AFSIA's TechNet conference in Augusta, Georgia. So I'm of the opinion that although we've made significant gains over the past 15 or 16 years uh, in terms of capabilities that exist at Echelon uh, in delivering the network, I'm of the opinion that the network we have is not the network we need for the future fight in a contested environment against a near-peer threat. Uh, there are several things that have kind of fed my thinking on this, and I think you all are probably well aware of those. But I'm of the opinion uh, that the network we have is not likely the network we need for the future fight. So in the end, and when we have that discussion, I think that we need a network that works for the soldier instead of making the soldier work for the network. 
So a couple of key topics of discussion as we go forward here, and I know that I'm the last thing standing between you all uh, and uh, getting back to see your families, but I think it's worth uh, the intellectual investment to talk about a couple of things. Uh, the framework, and this will be the first thing that we talk about that is shaping the discussion on the network review that's ongoing, and I know that there's lots of churn, there's lots of discussion out there amongst key st stakeholders about where, where we're actually going with that. And so we'll have a discussion uh, about that. Uh, the second thing uh, is uh, I'll provide a few thoughts to you uh, in my uh, eight days now uh, on the job. Uh, I'll provide you a few thoughts on uh, where I think I'm leaning uh, in terms of priorities for the CIO G6. And then last, I got a few things I'd like to ask of industry uh, in general. Uh, not questions, but things that I'd like to ask you to think about uh, as we go forward. So first and foremost, the network review. I'll tell you upfront, and if you don't remember anything else that I say today, there has been no decision on where we're going with the network uh, by the senior leaders of the Army. We are still in the process of evaluating a very wide range of potential options. It's very, you know, I, I, as I walked around the floor, I told people the one thing you can expect from me is that I'm always going to shoot straight with you. And I can tell you uh, that there has been no decisions, but we are in the process of evaluating alternatives. The second thing that I'll tell you is that uh, what you're seeing and most of the discussion to date that discussion has been about the warfighting mission area, uh, but there's also an effort ongoing to take a look at the other mission areas, to assess. As you know, uh, there's an intelligence piece of this, uh, there's a business piece of this, there's a warfighting piece to this, and then there's an enterprise piece to this. Uh, there are enterprise systems, uh, you might look at it as a uh, enterprise resource planning tool, but it lives in our tactical formations. It's called G-Army. And so we've got to assess, our assessment can't just be about one of the missionaries. It's got to be about the whole thing. Again, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, the Army's new CIO G6, a short excerpt from his recent address at AFCA's TechNet conference in Augusta, Georgia, offering some of his initial observations on the Army network and what's ahead. For most of the hour, we discussed one aspect of the network, the sweeping new effort to update mission command systems to a single hardware and software baseline. If you missed any of our conversation with our three leaders from the Program Management Office for Mission Command, we'll post this week's entire show at federalnewsradio.com slash on D. You can also listen to the whole program anytime by subscribing to our podcast on Podcast One or iTunes. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks as always for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD with Federal News Radio DoD reporter Jared Serbu. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. On DoD, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m and federalnewsradio.com. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher 
And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.